Welcome to the Stephen Mansfield Podcast. Well, welcome to the Stephen Mansfield Podcast. I am so glad you have joined me. This is a place where we consider the critical events of our time and do it briefly. And all the people said, thank God. Glad you're with me. Hey, you're going to hear some background noise, some construction noise, and that is because I am recording in Nashville, Tennessee. And if you visited Nashville, Tennessee recently, you know it is completely under construction. 900 cranes, everything being rebuilt. So even here in our studios, we can't avoid a little bit of background noise. It doesn't bother us. We hope it doesn't bother you. Now, listen, I want to tell a story that you've been hearing about a great deal recently. Recently, and that is the Tulsa Race Riot, or as some people call it, the Tulsa Race Massacre. It's not just that I want to review what perhaps you've already heard on television. It is because I believe this moment, this anniversary of the Tulsa Race Riot, uh, gives us an opportunity to address something about race. And I want you to get a sense of what it's like. I've written on this. I've studied this. I've lived in Tulsa. And so I want to tell you a little bit of this story and then draw some conclusions. I'll do it briefly, but lean in. Let's listen. Uh, Between 1865 and 1920, African Americans had built almost 50 townships in Oklahoma. It was a place that was built as a a refuge. It was sort of the frontier in America. You could come if you were escaping racism, if you were escaping slavery, if you were escaping the Klan, you could come to Oklahoma and you would be good. Many of the, the founders of these townships or the people also who engaged in business in Oklahoma began to prosper. One of them was O.W. Gurley, became a wealthy landowner. Well, he had admired a town in another state called Greenwood, and so he bought 40 acres uh, around Tulsa, Oklahoma, and called it Greenwood, but it succeeded so well, it prospered so much that it became known as the Black Wall Street. On Greenwood Avenue, its main avenue, its main street, uh, there were luxury shops and restaurants and hotels and clothing stores, movie theaters, nightclubs, libraries. It had its own taxi system, its own bus system, its own hospital, its own uh, savings and loan, post office, school system. I mean, it was pretty amazing. Doctors and lawyers and dentists lined its very elegant avenues. Uh, It had its own newspaper. I mean, it really was everything we wanted for America and everything we would have wanted for blacks to accomplish. Well, it became the envy of whites in Tulsa. They weren't prospering as much. In other words, suddenly, uniquely in American history, in Tulsa, the wealthy part of town was the black part of town, this area called Greenwood, and whites in the rest of Tulsa, largely blue collar, maybe a little bit lower on the socioeconomic scale, uh, were you know, very resentful. Well, this brings us to May 31st, 1921. And that's, of course, why we're paying so much attention to Greenwood these days. We're living in 2021 right now, so we're at the 100th anniversary of the Greenwood experience. And what happened basically was something very small. Sometimes historic events are prompted by very small happenings. Um, a, a young man, a young black man, who was a shoe shiner in a department store named Dick Rowland, Uh, apparently got on an elevator. And at this time, you had elevator operators. You had people who actually sat on the elevator. You've seen this in the movies and operated the elevator and talked to the 
the passengers or the clients. So Dick Rowland got on an elevator and uh, the operator was a young woman named Sarah Page. What happened next is rather unclear. Did Dick Rowland fall and perhaps touch Sarah Page? Or did he actually grab her in some way? Uh, it's, it's, we don't know. We, we, there's no way we can know. Only the two of them know. Um, however, Sarah Page began screaming. That's the bottom line. The young African-American man, Dick Rowland, got on the elevator. Sarah Page shortly after began screaming. She alleged that she had been molested or abused. We, I don't know exactly what language she would have used. And so... Uh, a crowd began to form. Dick Rowland was arrested. He was taken to the jail. And of course, whites were incensed. They began to gather at the jail. Now, again, you have a sophisticated African-American crowd here, and they're not going to stand by quietly and watch a, a young man be lynched, especially for something that seems you know, unclear at best. So black veterans began to gather at the jail also, and this is when things went badly. Uh, you have whites calling for Rowland's lynching, killing. You have blacks who want to guarantee his rights and actually say they were showing up to support the sheriff. And uh, at that point, things went badly. Somebody fired a shot. You know how it goes. Nobody can really talk uh, to say specifically who fired that shot. But suddenly, uh, you began to have incredibly, incredible violence. Okay. This was the spark that set Tulsa on fire. Well, what you had then was a lot of resentment built up in the white community, animosity, anger. Uh, you had a small number of black vets trying to uh, defend Greenwood by this point, uh, certainly trying to defend Dick Rowland, and the clashes began. Pinup animosity spilled out. And before it was all over, uh, somewhere, depending on whose numbers you're using, between three and 3,000 blacks were killed, but that's not all that happened. Um, the whites began to absolutely destroy Greenwood, destroy the Black Wall Street. They burned it. They shot people indiscriminately. Uh, again, they set buildings aflame. Um, there was great violence. People broke into homes, broke into businesses, beat you know, beat people up, and began destroying uh, these beautiful homes along the major avenues. Uh, there had just been a lot of resentment. Now, what makes Tulsa the Tulsa riot um, even worse? is not just that perhaps 300 blacks were killed, not just that Greenwood, this beautiful community in uh, the edge of Tulsa, was destroyed. Something here, Here's the very thing we want for blacks. Here's the very thing we want for our, all of our society, and it's destroyed. But apparently, some white plane owners took to the skies and began dropping turpentine balls onto the area called Greenwood. Again, this black area of Tulsa is, is, is the way we might say it today. The pilots, and again, as far as we know, these were private plane owners, uh, began also to shoot uh, into the Greenwood. So what would happen is these turpentine balls set aflame would be dropped from airplanes. They'd land on the tops of buildings. Well, now, unusually, uh, buildings in Greenwood would burn from the top down. Well, this was devastating because the people in the lower floors did not know that the buildings were on fire. So the buildings would burn down. Uh, they would burn floor by floor. Obviously, people would smell problems. They would smell heat. They would smell smoke. But they didn't know it was coming from their building. And before long, then, the roof of the room they were in would suddenly catch fire 
flame um, and it would collapse on them and kill them. Uh, or perhaps it would seal off the exits. So this is one of the first time, this is one of the distinctives of the Tulsa race massacre or riot is that it's the first time that um, bombing from the air was used against American citizens. Now, this is not a government action as far as we know. As far as we know, this is private plane owners. But it's the first time um, that U.S. citizens were bombed from the air by either fellow citizens or, you know, some suspect it was government, but there doesn't seem to be much evidence of that. This riot continued all through the night of May 31st. Uh, when it was over, basically, uh, Black Wall Street was totally decimated. It was total. It didn't exist anymore. You can you can go online and see the photos. It had been completely destroyed, which obviously was the goal of some of the white rioters. Now you know you have mixed motives in in, in every direction. Obviously, some whites wanted to wanted vengeance for what they thought was a sexual molestation. Some whites took it as an opportunity to destroy something that they had resented for years. Uh, some whites uh, perhaps saw black veterans with guns and shooting and thought, well, they're assaulting us, and so they countered. Every Everybody on both sides uh, claims to have had a noble motive of some kind. The fact is, the next morning, June 1st, uh, Wall Street, Black Wall Street exists no more. Burned to the ground, totally destroyed, uh, 300 to 3,000 people completely killed. Uh, many hundreds were, were basically corralled by the authorities. This is blacks now corralled by the authorities into a stadium and onto certain fields and held for many days, uh, often without food. Um, it was really, really horrible in time. Uh, the blacks who were held uh, as an attempt by authorities to limit the rioting. Of course, they had the wrong side. Uh, it wasn't the blacks who were rioting. It was the whites. Um, that's very well documented. Uh, but those blacks were released and they returned to their homes, which, of course, existed no more. So Black Wall Street completely destroyed. And people are walking around in an absolute daze, June 1, 1921, June 2, 1921. Then the bad news came. The bad news came that insurance companies, these are the major American insurance companies that these blacks had contracted with and were paying, said that they would not pay for the rebuilding of Black Wall Street, or the other name, of course, is Greenwood. They wouldn't pay for it because the blacks were responsible for themselves. The rioting was laid upon the blacks of Greenwood. And so there was never any reparations. Uh, never were there even insurance payments. And Black Wall Street is no more. There are monuments. There are walls in Tulsa. Uh, there are some buildings that are original, but for the most part, completely destroyed. Now, I have to say to you that I'm, I'm so proud of my nation that we are remembering this at this time. And I'm proud of the blacks and the scholars and the, um, the officials in Oklahoma who are keeping this alive, who are talking about it, uh, those private sources who have uh, funded walls and monuments and uh, various ways for America to remember. But there's an opportunity here. There's a real opportunity here. Uh, I am cautious about reparations uh, as, as a whole for uh, 
all who have suffered indignities in American history. I'm not, I, I don't know how we would manage financial reparations as a whole for all blacks, for example, for slavery. Definitely there should be programs. Definitely there should be benefits. Definitely there should be advantages to help them uh, make up for the losses that were visited upon them, of course, because of slavery and because of racism. I do absolutely believe in that. Call it, call it what you will, affirmative action, call it, uh, you know, other things. Some people use very much, uh, pejorative terms, but I believe in in in, in when a people have been wronged, um, we help them. We help them advance. We pour money into their communities. We build. We've done it with other people. We've done it with the Japanese of World War II. Uh, yes, absolutely, we should do, be doing it with the blacks of America who suffered not only slavery but horrible indignities ever since. What I what I uh, see the Tulsa race riot or massacre as the 1921 Tulsa Race Massacre, is that there's an opportunity here for reparations uh, in a place where it's obvious that wrongs were done. U.S. insurance companies that still exist refuse to pay insurance payments. They should refuse to help them rebuild. The city refused to help. People just took the land and built on top of it. The blacks moved on or became an oppressed minority within uh, the environments of Tulsa. This can be addressed. This can be dealt with. We have, this is only hundred years ago. We have actual names. We know whose parents were killed. We know what they owned. And there are insurance records. There are city records. There are photographs. There are newspaper accounts. So here's an opportunity for Tulsa and Oklahoma more broadly to address these issues. Uh, and by the way, there can't be, I mean, we're not talking about millions and millions of people. Uh, we're talking about maybe 10,000 people, max. So here's a chance for good and to be done in a situation that where wrong was done, and it wasn't that long ago, and we have fairly accurate records. I think this could be a turning point. I think this could be a healing point. I'm proud of some of my friends. I went to, my undergraduate school was in Tulsa, as, as almost everyone knows, mentioned it all the time. And I'm really proud of my friends, many of my African-American friends who have been part of championing this and holding services and holding remembrance um, events and things of that nature. But here's a chance for us to turn. The main thing I want you to hear, you're probably saying, well, why are you talking about this? I want you, number one, to take some of these stories seriously. Listen, nobody gets more glazed over about the stories they throw at us constantly in the news than I do. But some of them, uh, we need to pay attention to. Some of them we need to hear. Some of them uh, require action. And I believe the Tulsa race riot uh, is one of the worst moments of racism and racial violence in American history. By virtue of the number of people who died, by virtue of the injustice of it, by virtue of the loss of property, by virtue of the violation of contracts, by virtue of the misdeeds of authorities. Uh, pretty stunning pretty stunning. And it can be addressed. Now, obviously, slavery itself was a horrible institution. And then you have the Tuskegee syphilis experiments, um, which were just demonic. Uh, that all can be addressed. But the Tulsa riot is something we know it's contained. We, we, can, we can address it. We can deal with this injustice. Uh, it, it was just an evil, as was the Tulsa syphilis, I'm sorry, the Tuskegee syphilis experiment. 
So I want you to pay attention to this story. There's a, there's an Amer- PBS American Experience episode on it. There are articles on it. I'm not asking you to become an expert on the riot, but I want you to look it full in the face. Don't hide from difficult facts. Don't fi- hide from painful history. Uh, I know I have a lot of people listening to this podcast who are in Tulsa for various reasons. Look at it. Help. Be part of the solution. This is something that was horrible. This was something uh, that was a crime. This is something that American businesses have gotten away without addressing. It wouldn't be that hard to address it and to remove this stain from the pages of American history. This is part of what we have to do. We sometimes have to address the wrongs of the past in the same way that we build upon the victories and the successes and the nobility of the past, because this is what a good people do. And we in America aspire to be a good people. The Tulsa Race Massacre. Let's pay attention. Let's see if we can address this thing. Let's let's be in favor of reparations and healing because it's time for us to turn the page in racist history in America. Stephen Mansfield is a New York Times best-selling author, a popular speaker, and a frequent faith and culture commentator on Fox and CNN. His groundbreaking books on faith and society include The Faith of George W. Bush, The Search for God in Guinness, Mansfield's Book of Manly Men, and Lincoln's Battle with God. Learn more at stephenmansfield.tv.